Good morning. How many of you recognize this? Introduced in 1966, it's a doll marketed as an action figure. He was designed, dressed, and accessorized, ready for action. That's Action Man. Well, I encourage you, I, I, I challenge you, I urge each one of you today to be that man. We're going to examine some verses in Acts chapter 8, and if you have your Bibles, let me invite you to please open to the book of Acts chapter 8, and we're going to begin examining these verses in, um, in a short period of time, Acts chapter 8. We're going to come to an understanding of what happened in Samaria, beginning in Acts chapter 8, verse 9, and why it happened. We're going to do this by looking at the different personalities involved in these incidents. We're going to look at God. Uh, we'll look at Peter and John. We'll look at Simon the sorcerer. We'll look at the Samaritans. And finally, Philip the evangelist. And, and as we do so, may God spur each one of you onto action in accordance to what he reveals to each one of us through these verses. Are you ready for action? Let's jump right into the middle of the passage. Let's begin reading in verse 14 of Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 14, we find these words. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. I wonder if you, did you notice anything strange in those words? Did you notice anything out of the ordinary? See, God tells us that, the Samari that Samaria had accepted the word of God, yet the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. Now, if you've been given new birth based on your repentance and belief in Jesus Christ, you know that you believe, and in that instant, you receive the Holy Spirit. We know that from the experience of others. We know that also from the promises of God. For example, turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verse 8. Keeping your finger in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, sorry. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter says in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And listen to this, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the Samaritans <coughs> had repented, yet they did not receive the promised Holy Spirit. Why not? Well, there's a New Testament scholar uh, from Scotland. His name is Professor Howard Marshall, and he calls Acts chapter 8, verse 16, perhaps the most extraordinary statement in Acts. Now, when we come across extraordinary statements in the Bible, there are a number of ways of gaining understanding about them. Let me suggest just a couple. Now, no matter which way you choose to go about understanding these, I don't know, hard-to-understand Bible passages, the thing to do is to always begin with what you know God has revealed is true. In this case, what God has re revealed as being true is you repent and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That didn't happen in Samaria. 
Why not? Well, one thing you can do to try to figure out what's going on is perhaps you can list possible reasons for that extraordinary statement, and then you check your list of reasons against God's truth in the Bible. Or another way to do it is simply to look up Bible verses on the context of that extraordinary verse. Now, I, I use the combination of these two methods, and here are some understandings of Acts chapter 8, verse 16. One is that God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son, Jesus Christ, they are always in perfect harmony and unity. Uh, if you're taking notes or if you're listening on tape later, uh, one Bible verse that explains this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. So it's not as if the Holy Spirit somehow missed the email from God, which told him to go and live inside uh, these new Samaritan believers. Nor is it the case that the Samaritans did not truly believe. That's one thing you might think. Well, maybe their belief was faulty. Well, no, the Samaritans did receive the Holy Spirit, and that must have been based on that initial belief, which is described in Acts 8.12, because there's no indication that the gospel was later preached to them again and that they later believed correctly at another time. Also, Philip did preach the gospel correctly, as far as we can tell from the Bible. Because when Peter and John came, and they are the absolute top leaders in the church in Jerusalem, they never disciplined uh, uh, Philip or corrected him. And then later on in the book of Acts, in verse 26, the Holy Spirit himself sends Philip to preach. And the Holy Spirit does this with no correction on Philip's previous message. And this is when Philip goes to preach to the Ethiopian eunuch. So Philip would have preached the correct message. It would have been a message of repentance. And repent means that you, you turn away from the love of and the attraction to sin. A repent means that you turn away from the enjoyment that sin offers. And sin does offer enjoyment for a season. You turn away from that enjoyment of sin to a love of Jesus. Turn away from thinking that, that you have the power to defeat sin. And you realize that only Jesus has the power over sin. Well, speaking of the gospel, when you look up verses uh, in, in the context of this extraordinary um, um, Bible verse, uh, you may come across this term called the mystery of the gospel. And one place you may come across that is in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, where we find these words. Uh, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And now a Gentile is simply anyone belonging to any nation or people group other than the Jewish people group. And this includes the Samaritans, who were half Jew, half Gentile. And when you look up further verses on the Samaritans, you may come across Acts chapter 1, verse 8, very well-known Bible verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Philip's witness to Samaria in Acts chapter 8 is the beginning of the fulfillment of God's plan. Now John chapter 4, as you do research on the Samaritans, you realize that the Samaritans were treated as complete outsiders by the Jews. There was conflict, there was hatred and division between the two. John 4, 9 says Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In fact, there is a tradition that if you traveled um, from Jerusalem 
or Israel um, up, up north of Samaria, you, would, you, would, you wouldn't cross Samaria. You wouldn't let the soles of your feet touch Samaria to maintain your supposed holiness. It'd be like traveling from Brixham to Torquay and you, you bypass Paynton. The shortest route, you can Google it, the shortest route is through Paynton. But to maintain your holiness, you, you'd go the longer route outside Paynton. That's what supposedly the Jews did uh, back in that day. There was so much hatred uh, between the two. And you can see that John 4 also informs us that the Samaritans had also established their own worship system. And this caused conflict also with the Jews. And then you might look up verses on Peter and John, and you come across Galatians 2.9, where they are called the pillars of the Jerusalem church. They are the top leaders. So their decisions carry massive, massive weight. So now with all this information, all from the Bible, you can come to a solid conclusion as to what God was doing, why it happened that way. Why didn't the Samaritans receive the Holy Spirit? Well, basically, you have two groups of people, and they are divided by hatred. But both of them become believers in the gospel. Now, back then, the gospel being believed by Gentiles was brand new. And so the Jews weren't sure what to do with these new believers, the Samaritans. So what God did in his wisdom and in his love was, was he withheld baptizing the Samaritans in the Holy Spirit. And then he sends Peter and, and, and John as the top dogs in the Jewish church to investigate. Now remember, if Peter and John approve, there's no one in a higher position to disagree with their decision. They investigate, and they see that the Samaritans do have genuine faith. And then God has Philip, Peter and John physically touch the Samaritans. And that physical touch is important. It's a physical, visible sign of what's going to happen spiritually. Peter and John touch them. God gives the Samaritans the Holy Spirit. And so it is affirmed publicly that Samaritans are accepted both by God and by the Jews. See, God did this so that Samaritans would not go off and form a separate church. That's been their history. And that would have voided, understand, that would have voided the power of the gospel right from the start. See, salvation itself was at stake. Because if any promise of God is not fulfilled, God ceases to be God. The promise of the gospel is that everybody's going to be members of the same body. Remember Galatians 3.6, not separate bodies. God's power would have been broken had the Samaritans not felt accepted and affirmed by the Jews and it formed their own church. God's power would have been broken. He would have lost the ability to save and keep us saved for all eternity. You see, you're not born again and then filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit at a later time, nor is it required that someone of importance like a bishop lay his hands on you to give you the Holy Spirit. No, Acts chapter 8 verse 16 happened not to set a pattern for salvation, but to preserve salvation. Well, now a little bit more in Peter and John. Now, they are used by God to keep the unity of the Spirit. And those are words we find in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. See, God himself enabled Peter and John to know the truth of Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. 
And it's important to note, unity is initiated and maintained by the Holy Spirit because as humans, we are absolutely rubbish at unity. You can Google this, and according to various sources, you'll find out that the United States, my home country, has broken all of the over 400 treaties they signed with the Native Americans. But you don't have to look at uh, the United States here in England. Look at the disunity caused by Brexit. And all over the world, there are trails of broken relationships. We are rubbish at unity as humans. And so in Ephesians 4.2, for those of us who believe in Jesus, we are given these instructions to keep the unity, not to make it, but to, to, to keep it, to maintain it. Unity from the Holy Spirit, maintained by the Holy Spirit, if we do these things. For example, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And those two words at the end, in love, are vital. Because remember, God is love. So really what those words are saying at the end of the verse, they're pointing to God's love. God's love is in those of us who believe. God's love is the source of power to live a life of unity. If God's love is in you, are you ready for action? Are you ready to allow that love of God to act on your soul so that your actions towards other believers are humble and gentle and patient? Well, Peter and John are also used by God to judge. You see, when you're born of God, you can, you can take that truth from heaven and you can apply it first to yourself and then to others. Now, Peter and John go to Samaria and they have this template of salvation from heaven. They apply it to the Samaritans and they can see that, yes, the Samaritans have been born of God. Then they apply that same template to Simon and they are able to discern that Simon actually is not born again. Now, though judgment may appear harsh, you need to know judgment is actually an act of mercy. If it's done truthfully and correctly. Let's look at Simon, beginning in Acts chapter 8, verse 13. It says, Simon himself believed and was baptized. Now, right there, Simon is mirroring, mirroring the, the salvation of the Samaritans experience precisely because in verse 12, we find these words about the Samaritans. But when they, but when they the, the Samaritans, believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So that same phrase is used of the Samaritans who did have a proper faith and Simon. They believed and were baptized. Now, at this point, it's good to just take note that the Bible and the world we live in, it is littered with people who initially appear to have received the grace of God. They might have even been baptized. But like Judas Iscariot, for example, there are people who co so closely resemble the life of a believer that even when Jesus plainly said to the 12 disciples, one of you will betray me, it was not at all obvious to the other 11 who that one person would be, that it was Judas. So what exposes Simon as an unbeliever? Well, look at the end of verse 13. 
Verse 13 says, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And it goes on to say, and, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Now, that in itself, by itself, it doesn't really give a clue as to the state of Simon's heart. Because we also should be astonished if we witness great signs and miracles. The thing is that astonishment must be subservient to the astonishment of what is eternal. I can tell you this truthfully. Within this body, within this body, God performed a miraculous healing. And my astonishment at what God did, I was astonished. But that astonishment does not at all compare to my astonishment at what the grace of God did to me in salvation. That God would choose me, a persistent sinner, and want to take me to be his forever. That, that is astonishing. Now, Simon's astonishment, as we read on, we discover that his astonishment was not with the eternal, and thus his heart is beginning to be exposed. So, for example, look at verse 17. See the behavior of Simon in verse 17. It says, then Peter and John placed their hands on them, the Samaritans, and they received the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 18, Simon's response. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And verse 19, and said, give me this ability so that everyone in whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible tells us that the mouth speaks and reveals the heart. That's according to Matthew 12, 34. So Simon's heart cannot conceive that the Holy Spirit is holy. See, Simon thinks that the operation of the Holy Spirit, who is from heaven, is under the operation of humans. Simon watches Philip, and he desires the ability to perform the signs and, 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 and miracles that, that Philip is doing. He, he sees what Peter and John do, and he greatly desires that ability. And when you look at verse 23, in verse 23, Peter says to Simon, for I see that you are full of bitterness. So it's possible that Simon had been expressing lots of bitterness over his inability to perform these acts. So here's the heart of Simon. Simon wanted the glory and the praise which the Holy Spirit deserved. Simon wanted that glory for himself. Simon has a serious heart condition. His condition is so serious that Peter gives this seemingly harsh response. In verse 20, Peter answered Simon, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Now again, those words, this, this judgment, it might sound harsh, but I assure you, it is merciful. For example, Peter uses the term in verse 20, perish. This is simply, truthfully, actually lovingly informing Simon he is headed for hell. Well, how is that loving? How is that merciful? Well, well if, if a person wants to go to heaven, if a person thinks they're going to heaven, and then they, they discover truthfully that they are headed for hell, 
Now they can change their course to repentant faith in Jesus. In verse 21, Simon is basically told, you're not a member of God's church. My family knows this. My, my, my fa father and mother in Texas, they eagerly participate in all the ministries of their church. About five hours from now, they'll be sitting in church in Texas, but yet their sin remains unforgiven. They are not born again. They are not Christians. How much better it would have been if the church had told them years ago, honestly, sorry, you cannot serve the church because your heart is not right before God. Those are words of mercy. And in verse 22, Simon is told the warmest and most wonderful words an unforgiven sinner can hear. Repent and pray to the Lord. And we know the welcome that awaits the repentant sinner. The angels in heaven themselves rejoice. But on this occasion, there's no party in heaven. Simon's answer in verse 24 indicates he has no intention of repenting. Verse 24, then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. My mother-in-law, before she was saved, she would constantly ask Sharon and I to pray for her. She had no intention at that time of believing, no love of God, and she sort of instinctively knew she had no right to ask God for things, so she would ask us. But yet at the same time, my, my mother-in-law, she, 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 she desired God's blessings, and, and she desperately wanted to avoid the judgments and punishments. She feared those. And so my mother-in-law's heart, before she was saved, mirrored Simon's heart here in Acts chapter 8. His answer exposes him as one who wants to avoid the judgment of God, but on his terms. Well, God has set the terms, and it is repent. And so as far as we know, to Simon's eternal shame, he never accepted those terms of surrender. Well, what about you? Does this invitation to repent, does it, does it warm your heart? Are you hearing wonderful words of rescue that draw you to God, to where you're even able to call him Father? Or do you hear words from a harsh, unfair judge that make you want to hide from him? What action will you take in response to God's loving command to repent? Well, the Samaritans repented, but before they believed and followed Jesus, they followed Simon. So in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, we find these words about the Samaritans. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Here is an entire people group openly publicly, seemingly with no shame or guilt, following a sorcerer. It says all the people, both high and low, gave Simon their attention, and they even proclaimed that what he was doing had the approval of God. It seems that they were satisfied to keep on following Simon. I just wonder, 
Does that remind us of any group of people we may be familiar with? How about here in England? With our approval of homosexuality and transgender. Well, how should we respond to this increasing, increasingly public situation? Well, we should respond as Philip did to the Samaritans. Look at verse 12 of Acts chapter 8. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. You know, for years, I, I thought that Satan, he, he, he overplays his hand. He, he goes too far, and he's trying to draw people away from God. But I always hesitated to include this in sermons. But then I read John Stott's commentary in preparation for this message on Acts, and John Stott thinks the same thing. So with confidence, I tell you, you know, I, I think that, that Satan giving Simon free reign in Samaria, that Satan captivating all the people both high and low, that Satan using Simon to amaze the Samaritans for a long time. You know, Satan probably thought, I've got them. I've got them. They're mine forever. But it was overkill. And when Philip comes and simply proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, Simon's sorcery was immediately exposed for the lie it was. I just wonder, I wonder, could Satan be setting the stage for the same thing to happen right here in England? Yesterday, you might know that London had its first ever not gay pride parade, but trans pride parade. Businesses and lawmakers and schools are bending over backwards to support and promote gender fluidity. And as individuals rush to enjoy their choice of sexuality, see, if we, like Philip, if we simply, consistently live a loving life and proclaim Jesus, the emptiness of this supposed sexual freedom will be exposed. And, and people can confidently leave it behind because we... God, through us, has introduced to them a better, eternal satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Well, for me, Philip represents the, the, the simple day-by-day, day, daily presenting and proclaiming Jesus as we go to school, as we uh, play amongst friends, as we relate to family, as we relate to neighbors, as we work amongst people. Now, Peter and John represent to me that intentional, planned, programmed efforts at evangelism. It would be, for example, you coming alongside Chloe here at this church to, to help teach the children and the teens. Chloe, would you stand up, please? It would be like each one of you who are able going to volunteer for a week at Menadou Camp each summer. Jonathan Drew, would you stand up, please? Kevin Bartlett, stand up, please. It is joining Steve and, and Stevie and Barrow witnessing at the car boot sale. All of you can sit down in a chair. All of you can talk to people. And as people open up, you can offer them the good news of Jesus Christ. You can do that on Sunday morning. Stevie, would you stand up, please? It would be walking these streets right outside this this, this church every Tuesday with Vic and with Justin to proclaim Jesus right here in this neighborhood. Justin, stand up, please. Hey, these are people that you can take action, and you can just talk to them and get some more information and register your interest right after the service. So look at them, see where they're at a position. And if God leads you, 
go and speak to them right after the service today. Thank you. You guys can sit down. Also, each one of you, everybody has access to this good newspaper. Hey, it may not be the best tool, but it is a tool. It comes out every month. You can get this for 14p a copy. You can leave it in businesses and doctor's offices if they let you. You can offer it to friends, to neighbors, to schoolmates, to teachers. It's a simple way to introduce people to the idea that there is a God who transforms lives through Jesus Christ. I always use the tagline, we're offering some good news instead of all the bad news. And 9.9 .9 times out of 10, people accept it because they're tired of all the bad news. They're tired of their lives. They are frustrated with what's happening. And uh, there are people who are hurting. They need Jesus Christ. And God wants to use you to take action to reach them. Peter and John and Philip, they evangelized and they transformed a culture. That powerful gospel will rescue our generation right here in Torbay. There are generations who are amazed by the possibility right now of gender choice. We must go to them with the transforming gospel let that be what shapes them. Let that be what speaks to them. Are you ready for that action? Well, with that said, there's just one simple penetrating question each one of us must answer now. What action will you take today?